thank you both for showing up. I was talking to a comedian friend of mine, and we both agreed that the greatest feeling in the world, and there really should be a word for this, is when someone cancels a podcast appearance you're supposed to be on. <gasps> that is true. That is, a, that is a feeling we don't have a name for quite yet. The Germans will we come up with it. We need a sniglet yeah. for that. I mean, don't you think that it's the greatest when you're on your way to be a guest on a podcast and you hear like, oh, actually, it's going to cancel. Yeah. That's true of any like... social plans, by the way. Anybody, anytime someone else cancels and it's not you, woof. If you're not on your way, that's great. Yeah. If you're like at home, like, oh, my God, I got to do this thing. And then you're like, oh, Pete Holmes canceled. That. <laughs> Wait, that's exactly what we were talking about. Really? It was Dan Soder, the comedian, and I talking. Dan, yeah. Dan and I, I, yeah. I met Dan the first day he was in New York at an open mic. Dan and I were talking, he did great on Pete Holmes, and we were talking about how great it would have been if it canceled right before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so, true of almost any yeah. any kind of interaction. The greatest podcast appearance in the world pales in comparison to the Not feeling when a podcast one. is canceled. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you guys agree. Oh, Because I didn't think of it. Walking as the host, you have to show up. Yeah, and I'm saying this as like Pete Holmes, very good, very friend. good. We, well, and also we used to have a podcast together as well, and it was just like every. And you think it's like it's an hour a week, it's nothing, and it is a lot of work. Yeah, Pete's podcast is great. I've yeah, I, yeah. Our, My office now is where Pete's was for your show, the show that you wrote on. Yeah, crashing. Yeah, like yeah. we're in those stages. Oh, great. So like, oh, um, wow. yeah, we're in those. So I, Pete's great, awesome. Yeah. Anyway, um, we love you, Pete. Hey. This is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. My guest today, I'm so excited. These guys made my favorite movie of the year, The Big Sick, Emily Gordon and Kumail Nanjiani. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. We're excited to be here. Yeah. We're uh, not just saying that. (laughs) No, the movie blew my mind, guys, uh, because you completely reinvented the notion of a rom-com, and you did it out of your own lives. As a writer, every moment of the movie, I was. my wife's also a writer, and I was like, kicking her, can you believe these that they did this thing? <laughs> oh wow. That's lovely to hear. And when yeah. you when you when you began, Emily, thinking about actually doing it as a as a movie, what was the most daunting aspect of it? Like, you know, starting to write is always incredibly yeah. daunting. But but when you sort of decided, all right, we're gonna do it, what what was your biggest fear? Um, I think too, I was a little, I was nervous about writing this stuff about myself, uh, being sick myself, you know, being in a coma, I technically wasn't there for, uh, parts of the movie. So that's, that's a thing. And it's something that we kind of talked about, but not really excavated very much. I also was kind of, I was thinking like five steps ahead to like, oh, this means that I, a lot of my close friends didn't know that I'd been sick. Uh, we moved shortly after I got sick. So I just kind of, we moved here to New York and I just didn't tell people because how does that come up that often? We're hanging out with a bunch of New York comedians. They're not like the most selfless humans on earth. <laughs> you mean they're not asking you? They're not always like, no. tell me more about you? I want to hear more about you, girlfriend of comedian. Uh, <laughs> I love them all. They're wonderful. But yeah. I don't be- believe that Aziz didn't drill down and ask you at the table. I refuse. Uh, but I, so a lot of my close friends didn't know I'd been sick. So I was like, oh, this is me. This is us kind of telling a lot of things that were very private to us, you know, our experience with Kumail's family, our experience kind of uh, with everything. This is us kind of showing that to everyone. And that that felt not daunting as much as just pretty naked and kind of vulnerable feeling. So I was not, uh, those two things were the things I was kind of most apprehensive about. What was the conversation around deciding to do this? Like, how did it actually come up? And then what were the first steps? And like, be granular, because a lot of writers listen to this show. Okay. So, so basically, the first step. Well, I we met Judd at a festival at South by Southwest. We did Pete Holmes's podcast together. I it's had, great being on podcasts. Yeah, I so. love podcasts. Oh my god! Very, very the good worst one. feeling is when someone cancels on you. <laughs> um, you're like, oh man, I, I just have to sit at home now. This and sucks. not talk. Oh my god, I I could do whatever I want. It sucks. It really oh, does. So suck. many you're choices. Right. Um, so he, we, we did that show and it was, we had a great time and we sort of hung out that weekend and we met Lena Dunham before yeah, her show was out. That's this is right. how long ago this was. Post Tiny Furniture, before Girls. Exactly. Post Tiny Furniture, they were doing a, They were showing the premiere of Girls at South by Southwest. I yeah. Think. Yeah. And he was like, this is wow. Lena Dunham. She's got a show. And I was like, all right, good luck. And she's like, she seems so young. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Had you not seen Tiny Furniture? No, we had not at well, that we've point. We've seen it since. It's yeah. great. Yeah, but yeah. now it's clear. Yeah. I saw it and I was blown away. By it. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It was, it was like this really woman's uh, a genius. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and so then he sort of wanted to meet with me. He called my manager. I went in and I'd sort of worked on a few ideas that were like random ideas, you know? And then I said, and I knew this was the one that, because I'd sort of been thinking that 
I wanted to make something from this, wanted to make a movie from this. And I hadn't talked to Emily about it. So I said, you know, when we were first dating, she was in a coma for eight days and I hung out with her parents. And he was like, that's the movie. Fuck all your other ideas. Obviously, yeah. And then he, if you want to get granular, he was like, okay, now go and prepare a pitch. Pitch it as a movie to me. So I took a couple weeks. I sort of worked on it as a pitch. I went in and it was him and Barry Mendel. Who's the other producer? Yeah, who produced like Six Sense and stuff like yeah. that? Yeah, he's done Six Sense a lot. Sense, of Wes a lot. Anderson, a lot of M Night stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's got the greatest filmography of all time. Munich, he did Munich. Big sick. So, <laughs> yeah. So I went and I pitched it, and I brought in. So we have like a hospital box, you know. We have like sort of mementos from that time. So I brought in uh, visitor badges and stuff, and I showed it to him, and I sort of told the whole story and how we could make it a movie and what the act structure would be all of that and jed was like great and he said don't right now don't like do a beat sheet and don't don't do an outline or anything he was like just go write it write the movie really as you remember it and he was like don't worry about length just write everything so i kind of went off and wrote a draft that was really like just no structure anything just wrote everything as i remembered it in a script format and I believe that was over 160 pages. Sure. And wait, w- at that time, w- w- first of all, at what point in this did you tell Emily? Oh, she knew about it. Oh, but, I knew, yeah. But, but no, I was, I'm saying when you first met with Judd and you said, um, he came home. I have these various ideas. He came home and I was like, he wanted the story of us, didn't he? And he was like, yeah, of course he did. <laughs> and, <laughs> He's right. Yeah. <laughs> and were you writing yet at that time? No, uh, no I, I was writing. I was oh, freelance yeah. writing. I wasn't uh, writing. I was doing like uh, essays for women's magazines and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, where were you in your where, where were you in your because this is like um, it, Lena's show was just on for eight years. So this is like nine years ago, right? No, this, no, is this was 2012. It's a 2012. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's seven years ago. Yeah. No, five, five, years, five, years ago. five years ago. Five years ago. So it wasn't before Alina's show, was it? That her show only came out in 2012? That's amazing. Yeah, I think, I mean, that definitely was what was happening. Because I think they had seven years of it. But okay, I'm, I don't know the calendar. Oh, it's yeah. your life. You know it better than I it do. It was definitely 2012, so maybe, yeah. yeah I don't know. That was anyway. like 15 years ago. But so, yeah. <laughs> it was 35 years ago today. I, no, so where were you in your career? Were you? It was pre-Silicon Valley. Yeah. I'd done a couple seasons of, uh, I'd done a couple episodes of Portlandia. I'd done stand-up on, like, Letterman, and I'd done stand-up on probably Conan. So that's where I was. But it was before. And I was on, at that point, I was on a show called Franklin and Bash. I'd actually just decided that I wanted to leave that show. It was a show on TNT. Um, and you, neither of you had written a long-form piece no, at that time? Not at all. No. I'd written I, a very terrible pilot, but it did not go anywhere. And was I'd this written, an amb- okay, sorry. I'd written a couple terrible pilots. <laughs> but and that you'd sold? No. <laughs> Oh, yeah. you had, had you pitched de- and sold? You yeah. pitched no, and you sold. had a development deal. I had, I had a development deal at NBC where yeah. I wrote a terrible pilot for, and then I pitched and sold a show to Comedy Central that then I, that I then later wrote a terrible pilot for. But I think 2012, those things had already happened. And we didn't have Meltdown, the TV show, did we? Had we no, pitched that? No, but we were doing this live show in LA called The Meltdown that was doing really well. Yes. Right. So you were buzzy in the world, but you hadn't, more as an artist, I was more like, you hadn't yet done the thing where you'd written a unified, no. something like a unified voice and tone that you were happy about. This is the first thing. This is the first time we did that. But also, we didn't have really, we had a podcast about video games, but Silicon Valley really was the thing that like changed my life. You know, immediately mm. I went from only nobody knowing me to like a certain small group knowing me. Can we get into my involvement in this movie? Yeah. Well, no. So you go home because you said so. You go from from the thing, and we'll get ju- to you, Emily. <laughs> Judge, well, you were in the coma. How do you know what yeah. happened? So, where where Judd says go write a long thing. Now at this point, do you say to Emily, let's write it together? No. At that point, I just wrote it on my own, and it was truly like just as I remembered it, not judging it, just wrote it. So can I ask a feelings question? So what did you feel about that? Were you good with it? Um, I think I I was I was I was a little hesitant about the entire the entire thing I would say and so he started giving me drafts to kind of read to see my thoughts on them and I I had a lot of thoughts <laughs> uh, yeah I had a lot of thoughts yeah so she honestly was when she read it it wasn't like she was giving me notes it was like a whole other perspective on this thing 
And it what just. What do you mean it wasn't notes? You mean it was a perspective on the actual events? Yeah, she was like, it wasn't like this. It was like this. It wasn't traditional notes, and this it was just like a totally different perspective in this story. You know, it wasn't like as a, this kind of person. This my reaction to this story. It was much more internal than that. And so then at that point, it sort of became clear to me that we kind of had to write it together. Was this before you'd shown it to Judd? No, I'd shown it to Judd. So you'd shown the big version of it, the 160 pages to yes. Judd. And Judd basically at that point was like, and I didn't talk to Judd. I wasn't like, I want Emily to write this with us. We kind of just told him later. Judd had read it and was like, this is great. This is going to be the raw material. This is the clay of the whole thing. So now we have to figure out how to make this a movie. And at that point, he was like, he sort of gave me some guidance and then was like, now out, now do the outline. So we did the outline next. Mm-hmm. But by then, I'd sort of asked Emily to write it, that we should write it together. And, and I, Emily wasn't sure. I took a few days to think about it. And then, for all the reasons I mentioned earlier, being apprehensive about kind of... But not just about like people knowing, because you knew people would know. So is it... A, I mean, are you not a confession? I mean... You know, you make your living being confessional or framing yeah. um, a confessional point of view yeah. in a way. Yeah. I'm a little less confessional, I will say. And and also as a, you know, as a therapist for many years, I uh, <coughs> often I couldn't write about a lot of stuff that was happening because it, it's breaking confidentiality. So I think to me, I was always like, oh, I that's just kind of not a realm that I like am in. I wrote like personal essays about myself, but then nothing this kind of confessional. So this was uh, this was something I just took a little bit of time. Yeah. And was it daunting the idea of really collaborating? I know you guys had collaborated on stuff before. Collaborating so on this story of your life. No, not so much. I think that, I, I do think we both kind of thought that once we dug into it, like, oh, that's definitely going to be necessary because otherwise it's yeah. it's it's unbalanced. Uh, and you can approximate that and plenty of people have and it's uh, done well. It's not unbalanced, it's incomplete. It's incomplete, yeah. So we, yeah, we just went to, we went and met with Judd with a, a new version. We're like, hey, we're writing it together. And he was like, cool. This was yeah. the outline. Yeah. Yeah, and then we started working on the outline. I will say that this was sort of one of the things that we consistently, you know, you sort of have the same arguments. One of the things we sort of disagreed on the whole way through was, how much of it do we share and how much do we leave for ourselves? Mm-hmm. And I was always like, oh, that's so good. Put it in and Emily would be like, but that's our thing. And so that was the one sort of tension that we had all the way through. Yeah. And then at the end, we found a balance because stuff naturally Stuff just falls out. out. And then whatever falls out, that but that's yours. And rather than you making the decision, it's better for the work to make its own decision of what falls out. And then all that reverts back to you. Yeah, yeah. because ultimately, <clears throat> right, because ultimately it has to be a thing that the viewer can make their own. Yeah. So, it, 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 although thing. often the more personal you are, the better and more so. universal it I is for the... Definitely viewer? true, but I also have written for plenty of uh, websites that really traffic in like really confessional, personal essays. And I think at some point it's just kind of gross. And it's like if you're just doing it for the sake of like, ooh, can you believe I left a tampon in for 10 days? It's like, what are we doing? What, what, how is this anything for anyone? I believe that was one of the things that you wrote, right? <laughs> that's in my second movie. It's, yeah. In fact, that's the title of my second movie. Yeah. Can, can you, you believe, believe? <laughs> I left a tampon in for 10 days? But I, yeah. yeah. And so I, I think I had come from a, a world of like, if you're just doing it for the sake of like, ooh, this will get attention. I, I think that's a little cheap. And so I didn't want it to ever be that we were putting in we were chopping up parts of our life for something cheap. You don't uh, want so it to we... feel voyeuristic. Yeah, absolutely. I think we found a good balance overall for that. Yeah. Um, and so we did this outline. And then from the outline, we sort of went back and forth a few times with Judd. And then from that, we actually did a beat sheet. Yeah. Um, which was scene by scene breakdown of the whole movie. And then after that was the next draft. And, and then, that's when you then wrote the next draft where you incorporated whatever worked from the original thing. Yes. And then whatever new stuff. And then right. we would divide up the scenes that were on the beat sheet uh, and we'd be like, okay, I'll take these three, you take these three. Then we would write them, trade them to each other to rewrite and then trade them back to rewrite a final time and then put it all together to send off to Judd. I should also say that we rebroke the story many times. Oh, so it so wasn't times. that after we did the second draft, everything was a version of that. Like by draft five, we would go back to the board and look at the cards again and move stuff around. Mm. And, you know, so so going back to the board is something we actually did 
Constantly. We kind of did yeah. it all the time. Where was your where was the writer's board like in your house? We for, actually and it was in our garage. Well, for a bit it was in uh Showalter's office once we had him Because you later. knew he was involved. Well, no, this was, was later last on. Year. And but the board itself is in our home. Yeah. It's in our garage. Yeah. Yeah, and we just took all the cards down. I think them. it's safe to take them down. Now. Yeah. Yeah. We took a few photos just in case. We took a few photos. And by photos. the way, there's some real wrong stuff on there. Don't you feels- remember? Yeah, it was interesting because the last board was probably a few months before we started shooting. And then there was another board that we had at Judd's office, right? So that became the real one. And that, and then actually we had office space in uh, Burbank. That's what I'm saying. And that was the real space. board. Yeah. And so it was weird to take uh, cards off of this and be like, oh, my God, so much changed in the yeah. last couple months. Where did you guys write? So you 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 would write scenes separately in our home, and then um, set you like email them to each other. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then each rewrite yeah. and then send it back. Yeah. Yeah. In our home, was rewriting him in the beginning like difficult to sort of like just like fuck it, I'm just going to do this. No. Or did you have a problem rewriting her? No. No. I mean, no, honestly, no. for me, the writing it took a lot of pressure off to know that she was going to look at it immediately and make it better and fix it. So that really... I feel the... I'm, I write Everything I've written except for one thing is with the partner, my lifelong best friend. So all the... Every movie. And it's... We write this way. That's yeah. Our, and yeah. it's the gr- most freeing thing. It's great. Yeah. For us. But yeah. I find, you know, knowing... So like, I'm always happy if I know Dave is going to rewrite me. But yeah. the first thing, when I first am starting to rewrite a scene, I'm always just like, you know, you really... Don't you want to figure out, well, what what's the intention... How can I be true to like the intention of the scene? Of what the other person, what the other person yeah. did. That's why I sometimes feel, I don't know, like it's um, it's not sacred. That's too big a word. But it's that's like. That's interesting. I hear what you're saying. You have a responsibility to it. I yeah. Think. Well, we often, you know, even though we'd be in different rooms, yeah. we would G-chat often. I'd be like, let's not yell at each other from across. Because then instantly, even if you're having a calm conversation, it's like, honey, what did you intend when you said? And it's like, why are we screaming at each G-chat. other? So a lot of G-chatting of like, okay, when you said that, what ex- how exactly did you mean it? Like just checking in with each other. And that's when it helps that you're married and like that I don't let anyone get away without talking to me about their feelings ever. Uh, <laughs> right. So that helps. We were we would check in with each other if we had questions about it. But it didn't feel weird it didn't feel like that sacred. I understand what you're saying, but it didn't feel weird like that. But then sometimes a turn of phrase would be so good that you're like, obviously, we're keeping that no matter what. And it helped us because we did know the intention of each scene. We talked about it so much that we, lived we in knew exactly what we were, what we meant to accomplish. Yeah. The other thing that happens that's so interesting that I'm sure you can relate to is as you're rewriting and rewriting these scenes the movie's coming into focus. And at some point, you understand what the movie is, but you haven't written it yet. And so each rewrite, in a way, gets easier and it's trying to get you closer to the movie that you know it is. In your head. That's a brilliant point that like nobody's made in 300 episodes of this show. (laughs) That is an incredible... The moment when you see it... Yeah. Yeah. That's what this movie is. ...is the greatest... It's, it's like everything then breaks from there. Then all the work is ki- kind of, then you're downhill. But at least it's right. like you can That's see right. it off in the distance and you're like, I'm going that way. Like yeah. I know that at least. It's not back here. It's not over here. It's over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's downhill. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's downhill. Because before that, it's so sort of all this vague, especially with a movie like ours that's based on a true story that really is tonally, I don't want to say all over the place, but it's tonally varied. Bonkers. And so when you understand really the feel of it and what it is, it, it was really, you know, we wrote some stuff right at the end that's like some of the best stuff in yeah. the movie. And it was right at the end we wrote it. Yeah. yeah. I think the tone is totally unified. Um, in oh, the way you. a James yeah. Brooks movie is oh, right. a unified Gosh, what tone. what a lovely thing to say. James but, Brooks is interesting because that's that was one of our... Uh, you know, broadcast news was our yeah. We talked about comp. it a lot. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm sure you, I, I haven't heard you. I haven't read interviews about this, but it felt to me like the uh, willingness to be really funny, but then to let Holly Hunter really express what the love of a child is. Yeah. Yes. Um. Just through every single breath that she took <laughs> on screen, and I just have written down just my question about Holly Hunter is simply. Holy shit, Holly Hunter with five exclamation points. And then a question mark at the That's end. That's my whole thing. It's just <laughs> literally like, what was it like when she said she'd do it? And I mean, I'm jumping way ahead. But when I was thinking about the tone, I was like, the, those scenes with her, as a parent, I was just ripped to shreds. 
Well, there were so many little choices she made. Like she was the when she comes into Emily's apartment for the first time. We knew we wanted that to be a moment. You know, we're like in this place. It's almost like we thought of it as you know those ghost movies when you go in and the, they're like, "What happened here? The food there's like half half plates of food well, everywhere." Yeah, well, the way she breathes when she walks into the yeah. apartment she smells her sweater. She, you yeah. just you you're you get. I'm getting chills yeah, now remembering. She she, it. Re, she she puts on her sweater. At some point, she like. Her touching my face becomes a thing. She made all these little choices. She also brought in two necklaces for her and uh, Zoe to wear that are matching necklaces that we never even thought of. She's like, we don't have a lot of scenes together in the movie, so I want us to feel like we're connected even they when we are They wear the same necklace in the movie. And she brought a couple of blankets to let uh, Zoe pick which one that she would would be the one that she brought from home to put on Emily's hospital bed, which is something my actual mom yeah. didn't even think to do. Yeah, the and way. then putting her bringing, bringing a blanket was something that was in the script. This is the other thing that happens, you know? So we'd put in the script that she brings a blanket because we wanted to contrast the really sterile hospital with some sort of very piece of home yeah yeah a homely thing right and then when you do the table read and all your writer friends the director friends are there homie homie i know you no you you flinched emily flinched so i'm saying emily flinched so i'm gonna help no blankets are homely they're all beautiful homie Homie, <laughs> not homely. You said homely, didn't you? No, you, no. I did. Okay. <laughs> did you hear anyway. what you tried to do? <laughs> Blankets <laughs> are not homely. Nothing. But in anyway, you homely. wanted a homie. It was great. You said it, and literally, it was like she was a Jackie in the thing, and Kennedy was just shot. <laughs> oh That's my god! How much she just she completely <laughs> no, was, flinched. Back and to the left. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so sorry. It was a very beautiful, very sexy Hollywood blanket. Sexy, sexy blanket. Yeah. So anyway, she brings the ugly blanket, and what <laughs> she happens? She brings this ugly, homely. It's yeah. just normal it's the blanket next door she a brings handsome the bl- blanket yeah you had this idea that you wanted a, sorry, sorry you wanted a blanket but this is what happens right there's <clears throat> so we do a table read and people are sort of giving us things and notes and then a couple people are like so wait she gets a call that her daughter's in the hospital and she brings a blanket with her and then everyone else is like yeah that doesn't make sense that doesn't, that doesn't track sense. yeah but these are the things that like when people are analyzing it there were things in the script stage that people had issues with that nobody has had an issue with once they watch the movie because yes. you sort of, you know, the reality of it kind of hopefully washes over you. The fact that Kumail signs the form to put Emily in the coma is something that in the script stage people are like, that is unbelievable. That is actually what happened. That a. is actually what happened. And B, we left it in the movie and not a single person has has had an issue. Yeah, right. yeah you're watching the movie and you believe that situation. Of that course. the doc, that the, the nurse or doctor, whoever it was, isn't going to care. It's like... We right. have to do this thing. We just need a signature, for God's sake. Yeah, yeah. And, and in the script stage, there was so many people gave us that note yeah. over and over and over mm. and over. How did you choose what notes? Okay, so how did you choose what notes to listen to, what notes to disregard, and at what stage along the way were you guys like, no, 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 we now, we understand what this is. We're the, and then how did you slowly invite Michael in? to really be the other arbiter. Yeah. I think early on, if we got a note from several people, we at least talked it over. Our our brain trust at first was Kumail, myself, Judd, and Barry. And we would kind of talk through, like, is this note, a lot of people gave us this note, eh, fuck it. We don't, we, we, th- we like this, we think it holds. Or, okay, this is something for us to discuss. And that, when Showalter came in, it was a similar thing of, like, we just kind of became a brain trust in our decisions. Sometimes we'd argue quite vehemently about different things in the script, different points, uh, different points of view of people. And we just, sometimes we just decided, sometimes one person would never be happy, but it would be like, okay, everybody else feels this way, so we're going to go with this. Yeah, it was very rare yeah. that anybody had to make a stand. Often we were we were mostly in lockstep. Yeah, and with the, you know, the weird thing with Showalter was he came on a year before we started shooting, which is quite a bit of time. He got the movie immediately when he read the script. Mm -hmm. That makes total sense to me, knowing his work, that he would. He immediately, like, he he called me, like, late at night once. I was on the road alone doing, like, a stand-up show somewhere. And he called me, and he was like, I want to direct this movie. And he was like, I think this is how... And both Emily and I had wanted him at that point. Absolutely. And so Walter came in to pitch sort of himself to Judd and Barry. Emily and I were there, but it was really... To Jed and Barry and Showalter had done so much work and immediately we knew like we're the five people in the whole world who know this who movie. get it yeah yeah that's an incredible yeah. that's an incredibly yeah. great feeling when you're all rowing in the same yeah yeah direction. we literally had this lunch where he kind of presented this to Jed and Barry and then Judd was like okay 
go in that room and start working to show Walter and Camille and I. And then we got in the room. We were like, does this mean he's hired? So then we had to go to Judd and be like, hey, uh, does that mean Joe Walter's hired? And he's like, yeah, why are you in here? Go work. What are you doing? Right. Yeah. And that was what we did. <laughs> and the, the notes question is interesting because you obviously, as Emily said, if more than one person gives a specific note, even if you disagree with it, you talk about it. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you have to trust yourself. Like, for instance, in the testing phase, where we would test the movie in front of random... Once the movie's finished. Yes. Once the movie... Mostly. I mean, mostly. Once yeah. it's been edited. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. We did three test screenings, right? In all of them, the note we got the most was... Because at the end, you sort of do a little discussion, discussion where 20 which of the we would people eavesdrop in, on. were hiding in the back. Was the scene in the movie where Khadija, who's uh, one of the women that my mom wants... She has her moment, right? Where she sort of says, this is... Why why do you why did you agree to meet me if you don't and we see her perspective. We got every single screen the note was why is that scene there? You that scene doesn't that need scene. to be there. Yeah. Are you serious? It's not central yeah. to the plot, doesn't mean anything to the main Wait, characters. Wait, you got that on the questionnaires or on the, in the focus conversation? Group? Both. At, at both. Yeah. And in the conversation each time there would be like three or four people being like, Yeah, cut it and one, one person, person really passionately being like, You can't cut that scene and we were like that's what we want. Yeah. It may make less people like the movie, but it'll make more people love the it movie. It would make the movie three minutes shorter, and I don't think it would do any... I don't think it would help yes, anything. Yes, this argument, the biggest criticism of the movie when people are like, well, it's too long as Bob's... Oh, my God. It's nonsense. <laughs> Let me just say... Fucking nonsense. <laughs> I just, I've seen the movie twice in the theater. I've told... I mean, I started tweeting about it right away. You, yeah, you, you know, did. Right immediately... Like, um, it's an original movie. Yeah. It's not following a formula. That woman needed her voice. Otherwise, yeah. they just cut out girls. Absolutely. Yeah. That you get to judge. Which we didn't yeah. want. Exactly. And that's not what the, that's and, not what the film and is. And in a traditional movie, Emily would have fallen into Kumail's arms when he comes to her welcome home party right. with a bag full of stuff. No, that's the best that you that's, guys didn't make that, that choice. The yeah. other, that's... We hear that we had a screening today where afterwards someone was like, hey, why didn't you just go back to Well, her? if you would have said you complete me, then she would have. <laughs> but you didn't. And so... I actually yeah. got irritated with that lady. I was like, Kumail wasn't deserving of her quite yet. Get yeah. over it. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a strange structure for the movie, as you were saying, because in a way, every act has three acts. Like, so the first act really has to tell the story of this couple meeting, mm-hmm. falling in love, breaking up. That has to be its, its own one movie. one movie, yeah. And then act two has to be me and her parents meeting, falling in love, and saying goodbye at the end. That's the end of act two. And then act three, the perspective shifts. Now it's Emily's perspective. It's the first time you see any scenes that I'm not in. Mm-hmm. And this is all very deliberate, you know. The movie is from my perspective, so you see these women that my mom wants me to marry the way Kamel sees them. And then as he starts getting empathetic and seeing other points of view, yes. we're also giving time He's to other Well, in a way, the yeah. movie reminds, although I said James Brooks, and I have very, I won't, um, I won't watch Woody Allen movies anymore, but he's probably the bit, you know. Uh, sure. Hannah and Her Sisters is a movie that yeah. I think of because yeah. the perspective moves in that movie. You're looking at this very unconventional way that these people fall back in together, all these people. And that, so those movies are, they have a shaggy dog element to them. They're yeah. not told in this strictly yeah. linear, traditional right. way. And if anything, we wanted to subvert that. When you expect that thing to happen, we want it to not happen yet because it's not time for that to happen yet. Yeah. When, when along the process of doing all this, because it is all these years, it took 20 years, obviously, from when you guys first yeah, started. Well, 30, right 37 years. Started. It was 37 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, when, before I Love Lucy. And so then what happened was... <laughs> there was no television or movies. Desi, were... you were with Desi <laughs> yeah. in Havana. Oh my God. There were no talkies. <laughs> but um, at what point when you were writing did you know like, oh, this is good? Oh God. <laughs> I feel like, like when, did when you I feel saw like... the first cut in the movie. <laughs> I will say this. And this is going to sound arrogant. Because I hate the first cut always. Really? We, we were like... We, lo- we were so relieved. So this is going to sound arrogant. Go ahead. I love it. That's the best thing you could say in a podcast. This I, is the pull quote. I, from the beginning, I feel like mm. trusted everybody enough. We, we've talked about this. Emily always assumed the movie would not get made. I always assumed the movie would get made, which is a little strange because she's generally more optimistic than me. But also that you never thought about people watching the movie and I thought about people watching the movie. So we had like a weird mix of like, you thought the movie would get made, but that literally no one would ever see it. And I didn't think the movie would get made, but that the people would see it. (laughs) From the beginning, I felt pretty, this is weird. Again, it's going to sound cocky. I knew I was like, nobody has this story. This story has not been told in this way. 
we're the only ones in the world who can tell it. And we're supported by the, the people Geniuses. who are best at this, yeah. Judd and Barry. So and I like, felt like from the beginning, I was like, I think we could do a really good job of this. We, it's a lot of work. But I felt like it was always possible from the beginning. Like we knew this could be, you know, this is the thing that that Emily has that that when we would, you know, when I started doing stand up and Emily and I would go to shows and we would see shows in venues that were like, you're like, there will never be a great show here. Yes, this is a bad venue. There will never be a great show I'm here. I'm a real. Uh, I ran a stand-up show for years. I'm very. Uh, why? Why would you set yourself up for failure? Yeah, or yeah. not even failure, but not. Why not would you not set yourself up for like blinding success? Yeah. Right. At least give yourself a shot. So when we wanted to do a comedy show together, we looked for a space, and both of us and Emily was very good at judging. This was like it has to be a space where a great show is possible. Like if people are physically uncomfortable and this is all like therapy stuff, like if you you have to set up a, a situation where people feel safe, safe enough to have whatever happen to them, but they have to feel safe. And a lot of comedy shows don't feel safe. Right. Like the rooms feel they're hot. They smell terrible. They're, they're too small. They're, they're too big. The yeah. ceilings are too high. The sound system isn't good. There's a billion things. But, I, to, but to what I was trying to, my point was with this movie, I knew at least that a great version of this movie was possible. That it existed. This it was a piece exist. of stone. You knew it was the right piece of stone. Right. If, that you could right. then, that, hidden within that was this thing. Yeah. I didn't know until later that you assumed that it wasn't going to get made. It was like, why were you working on it for so many years? I just, I was like, I, what a great experience to have. And I also thought there's so many different parts to the story. We could have made eight different movies from this raw material. And we kept talking about that with Showalter specifically because we'd go too far in the like stand-up direction or too far in the illness direction. You, you mean during that year you were working yes. with him? And, when, we, and then he was officially on as director yes, he was. and kind of doing a production pass with the two of yes. you? He and, was, uh, yeah. He's very good at tone stuff and he's very good at structure stuff. So again, then when, when he came on... Again, we went back to the board yeah. uh, and we're like, okay, so what are the things? And there were certain things that Mike really connected to that he was like, there should be more of this. Um, but it, the only thing I'm not hearing from you guys is like the anger and frustration of having to go back to the board. Did you never feel like you yes. never? And sometimes oh. you did. But oh, I mean, yeah. because I, think... I feel it all the time when I recognize it's not right. No one's forcing me. And yeah. I'm like, oh, motherfucker. But they're also, that's my point, is like there were a lot of right versions of this movie. There were versions of this movie that really focused on the medical mystery part. There were versions of this movie that really focused on Kumail's family completely and, and only like not very much anything. There were so many different versions of this movie and we often in working would go too far in one direction. We did passes of this movie that were very stand-up focused, very illness focused, very Emily's parents focused and they had a lot of their own scenes together. And we kept being like, no, but it can't be all these things at once. It just can't. So what I think was great about trying all those different kinds is that we were we had fleshed out that whole world that when we pulled it back, we had just enough to kind of fill it in to make those scenes really feel lived I kind of think it was all those things at once eventually. Like, Yeah, but not, but it was, but it wasn't any, you know, we had so many takes of it that were like, oh, it's, the stand-up is like a huge part of it. And yeah. no. It but all be. the stuff you cut out, I mean, that's both what like um, Hemingway talked about and also, do you ever, you guys ever read the Walter Murch book in the blink of an eye about editing? No. Oh, no. it's like the best book about movies ever. I'm going to, Walter Murch, Walter Murch was the editor of Godfather 2 and the conversation in Apocalypse oh, Now wow. and he was the sound designer for all that stuff and he wrote this book about editing in the blink of an eye yeah it's unreal it's like first of all he's an incredible writer he's one of these guys he's an editor but he's an amazing writer but he talks about shadow cuts all the cuts that you made that aren't in there yeah. and that yeah. and that if you make these shadow cuts then the thing that remains still has all that stuff yeah. Yeah, within you it you can feel in it a way. Yeah. you'll freak from the book having okay. now made a movie also That's having now right. made a movie it's incredible okay well, because as Emily was saying, you know, this movie has five different, five stories. There are five, five narrative stories in this movie. So going back to the board to us, it was always how do we balance these stories? Yeah. And we had for each story, we had a different colored index card. So we would put it up and see like, oh, we haven't seen green in a while. That's Let's my relationship check in with on my parents. parents. So we yeah. got to like do more of that. And at what point did you tell your families? Not until we got funding. You mean, so Judd says, okay, 
I want you to do this. Were you, did he commission you or just say, let's work? Oh, together? it no, was we didn't free. Have money. All on spec. All I've on done spec that. No, for I mean, years. Yeah. My, Dave and I wrote Billions pilot with Andrew on spec also. So yeah. like, I've lived this spec thing yeah. a lot. So I could tell you exactly how it was. What yeah, it was tell. was, so we, Mike came on May of 2015. We shot this May of 2016. That's right. So we worked mm. with Mike and then at some Still point, with no deal. Still with no, no deal. deal. Nothing. None of us had It paid. was around Thanksgiving, awesome. I think. It was, yeah. Well, we had a deadline. At, at a certain point, mm. we'd worked with Judd so much, and Judd was like, if you can get me a draft that I feel comfortable sending to financiers before Thanksgiving, we can make this movie on your Silicon Valley hires. Sure. Right? So we got a script. We sent it off to, you know, all the indie producers. We got funding for it. Wait, you still, at this point, Emily, you have not told anyone in your family. No, no. and neither had come and, you haven't told anyone in your no, family. No, because it didn't and exist And you've written yet. the whole thing and you're working with Judd Apatow it didn't and Michael yet. Showalter and you send it out. Why but have the, an I awkward mean, conversation unless you have exactly. to? And also because parents, when you're like... Because it's your whole act. Because it, when it's your act, really. When you tell your parents like, oh, I have a general, they're like, oh, are you getting a, a check at the general? Like, yeah, it's a general. No, like, it, like they kind of assume so much that you're like, until something's real, don't say a damn word. <laughs> so you go, you send it out to financiers and uh-huh. then they come back positive. Absolutely. Yeah, basically what With happened- Zoe attached or no? No, no, no Zoe. No, no, just no cast, just Camille. Just me. Camille. We didn't want to like hire actors until we had money. We sent out the script to, I don't know how many, but that like day, um, Glenn Basner, who's the head of Film Nation, basically called Barry that day. And we'd gotten a few, that, but he was like, this is what the deal's going to be. He's like, I'm going to give you this much money. Um, you can cast whoever you want. I will give you no script notes. Um and that's the deal. Didn't he also say, when you come back to me and ask me for more money, I'm not going to give you more money. He this said this is, is how what much he, he, he <laughs> This is what he said to Barry that we found out later. He's like, he told Barry, he's like, I'm going to give you this much money. You're going to make this movie. You're going to cut it. It's going to be great. You're going to love this movie. I'm going to love this movie. And you're going to be like, can we have this much more money just to do this? And I'm going to say no. No. <laughs> so this is what you have. Because music, you know? You yeah. Know, that's, you don't think about that till later. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. now I think about it right at the beginning, but sure. yes, yeah. before, yes. We never thought about all that stuff. So so we got funding around Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and when, when we got the funding, that's when we that's had when we to told, told our parents. Uh, can you just say what that was like? Well, Who did the first call to the parents? It was more than just calls. It was just like, it was like a, it was an uh, indoctrination. So what we started with was... <laughs> what was first? Yeah, go the through The process it. of making movies, and because my mom... Her first thing was, well, she had two things. One, I don't see how you could ever make that funny. What's the beginning? Sorry, I got, that's what she said. Like, I want to, where are you? How do you decide to make that? Like, what's the very first thing that happens? Uh, I think I just was like. Is it an email or do you pick up the no, phone? No, it was a phone call and or FaceTime and or over the holidays that year. And you were like, hi, I have something to tell I you? I was like, yeah, I, I, hey, guess what? We're, we, I think we're going to make a movie. Uh, it's going to be about Kumail and I. It's going to specifically be about that time that I was in the hospital. And uh, instantly she was like excited. And then like, I just don't know how you could make that funny. Like to her, that was one of the most traumatic things that has ever happened. Of course. And I think I was like, you just have to trust us that I would never, I went through this. I would never belittle this with like a dumb like, oh, I hope we don't unplug her joke. Like it would not ever come to that. Uh, Trust us. And then the second thing was, I just want to be nice in the movie. And I said, Mom, here's the thing about movies. And I said to both my parents, you have to give the characters somewhere to go. So they have to start off somewhere so they can end up nice. Because if you start out nice, then you got to end up bad. You don't want that. You want to end up nice. So that means we got to start you off not so nice. And Wow, all the therapists like very... give people the bad news with a sandwich thing <laughs> yeah, really right. works. Very gradually. That's amazing. So then when we would watch, we went home for Christmas and watched screeners with my family. And I was like, you notice these characters start off hating each other. And then they, like not our and movie, they, just other right, movies. And they believed it was going to be a movie. We then, or they didn't really believe I think, it. No, they they don't, believe. I think they're just like, eh, we'll see. I don't I know. Think right, because you had become famous in the mean, like you were already well known, but then you'd become famous, right? Because of the show. Silicon Valley? Yeah. Yeah. But, but I, yeah. I mean, I just think they were like, we'll see. I mean, I think they have no idea of like. And yeah. what happened with you and your family? Well, Emily talked to the, her family first. And got it. Emily's a real like rip off the bandaid kind of person. I'm like, I don't want to see what's under there. Let's let's just might be an infection. Well, yeah, the whole movie. I mean, the movie kind of yeah, makes right? this yeah. clear. Yeah, that's that how we exactly, approach things. Yeah, that's you're not exactly, exactly right. willing that's... to be like, let me tell you exactly how it is. Exactly to your family. I was like, we'll try next Wednesday. So I so, called them. Eventually, Emily was like, Have you talked to your parents yet? Have you talked to your parents yet? Have you talked to your parents yet? 
And uh, so I finally called him and I was like, I want to tell you something. Uh, we're making a movie. I, I said it's about that period. Wait, you get both your parents on the phone? Your brother too or no? No, my mom. Just your mother? At this point, it's my mother because I knew the mother is going to be the main one. The right? mother. <laughs> The, huh? The, I knew the mother is going to be the main the one. mother. Movie. I'm like psycho. <laughs> the movie Psycho. Mother. So wait, so you call your mom and you I say. I call my mom and I say, we're making a movie. We have money for it. It's about when Emily was in a coma. And I was very open. I was like, it's about you guys wanting me to have an arranged marriage. And I said, this is exactly what happened in real life. And this is. What happens in the script? Here are the changes. So that first conversation, I kind of told them everything. I was like, this is how you're the same. This is how your character is different. This is how our relationship is the same. This is how our relationship is different. And immediately, I was surprised they were very supportive right away. Her and my dad. Immediately very supportive. The mother? The mother and, and be, father. Be, because now, did your families begin get along at this time? Oh, yeah. absolutely. So, From the start. But when you told your mom, you weren't like, oh, she's going to go around the horn and tell his parents. Oh, no. I, I th- and I think I told her, I was like, Kamel's doing this on his own okay. time. And she was like, we have experience with this. We get it. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> yeah. That's great. We know Kamel's going to take his time on this one. That's cool. But yeah, they t- our parents talk on the phone a lot. And they both have pretty thick accents, Southern and Pakistani. And so we don't know what they're saying to each other. I don't think they understand each other in the slightest. But they enjoy talking. Okay. Yeah, without like facial cues, I don't know what is going My on. My parents send treats to your family all yeah. the time. It's a whole thing. But 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 they both were very supportive. Yeah. And I had this weird thing with my parents where we like they kind of didn't talk about my career at all. Like they just wouldn't bring it up at all. But I would go to their house and they would have like articles up framed. Yeah. But then since this movie, it sort of busted that wall down, and it, we kind of talk about it and openly now. And yeah. weirdly, I. Even though, you know, we talked about me being sick with my parents a bit, not really that much. And so writing the movie, my mom would go, do you want any stories? Do you want to hear anything from our... And I would be like, please, I would love to. And so my parents would just, for like hours, tell me stories about things that happened to them while they were in the hospital, things that I had no idea about. And they would cry and they would laugh. And it was like, none of that stuff ended up in the movie. But what a lovely thing. Like it kind of, for both of our families, it kind of weirdly uncorked a thing that had been corked. And did Zoe spend time with your family at all? No, Zoe did not. She no. met my parents, uh, she met my family at the premiere and my family was like, you belong to us now. <laughs> yeah. And took her and she was like, that's cool. Well, that was uh, the yeah. interesting thing is because, you know, in hearing, in her talking to her parents, the stuff, the the important events to them were not Im- Im- events that seemed important to me or to Emily. And they were like, you got to put this time in. And we're like, that doesn't, but that doesn't feel important. But it's because obviously something inside them was happening then, right? So what we learned in writing this movie was if we look back and find sort of those things that we remember and we remember being intense, even if they in that format don't work in the story of the script there is something there and if you can somehow figure out what that thing is and put it into the script that's that's vitally important the emotions that were behind it yeah so like those big peaks or those big valleys and in fact yeah yeah and so so we were able to sort of mine those really and and put all that in the script because that's the specificity so that my it parents requires. kept talking about how they did my laundry and they were like it was so hard to do your laundry you have so many pairs of panties which they brought up multiple times across multiple platforms and what i was like i kept being like why is that the thing what's the difference between enough and too many anyway yeah. <laughs> where's that line and what that was is like that was their only way to take care of me they couldn't take care of me physically they had they were out of their depths they couldn't just put a, a band-aid on the boo-boo uh and so that was how they were taking care of me and what a lovely thing and so a lot of that made it into the movie the, the, the blanket yeah is, how you is, take care of someone when you can't physically actually take care of them yeah or like me going to like buy the giraffe you know yeah. for her that that's that stuff it's, it's like, all the panties yeah. yeah, no, clearly. <laughs> it's the, it's the, memoir title. Yeah. Yeah. It's all the you way. have the <laughs> memoir title. When, when did you realize in the... Oh, so wait, you said you liked watching the first cut. We both did. And this was... Was it the editor's assembly that you first saw or was it Michael's cut? Michael's first cut, saw? first cut. So he, both of you, neither of you were in the editing until Michael presented his cut. No, yeah. and th- but that was pretty early on because then we were in the editing for the next five months. No, no, of so course. Constantly, yeah. But he was like, let it, let me take all this footage and put it together. Well, what was happening was Mike would like text me every now and then and be like, 
this scene came in. It looks great. I saw this scene. It looks great. So he saw the editor's assembly, and then uh, he was like, do you guys want to see it? And we said, yeah. And he was like, you know what? Let me do a pass. Brilliant. Yeah. Great. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how we would have felt otherwise, but the, I think both of us, the feeling was, great, we did not mess this up. We didn't fuck it. This came up, okay. I've never had that feeling in my life. That's an amazing <laughs> feeling. I am always just want to kill myself. I mean, I, I remember on my first, our first movie, Rounders, the director was like, you're going to come watch the uh, my cut, and then I'm going to give you guys a bottle of whiskey, and you're going to drink and watch it a second time, and then we can talk. Wow, really? I said, well, yeah, because um, you know what it is in your head, and then... Yeah. And then the thing, it just well, takes you, a real... Were you I, on set for that? Every day. Yes, I okay. was. Every minute of it, I was on set. But still, the first time, it, it laughs at you. It's like the old Kierkegaard. Like, it, 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 um, for, for me, I find the first time, and still, right up now, for 20 years of making stuff, directing it, producing it, writing it, still the first cut is like, the first cut of every episode of my show, I'm like, Oh well, the show's coming off the. It's impossible. <laughs> I suck every time. I'm not, ex and then it's like now I have the discipline to know. Okay, this now you we'll go to work, pass. and this is the yeah. feeling. So you yeah. guys were just like, oh, this is great. Well, we were like, we knew we had a ton of work to do, but we were so relieved because we'd never made anything before, and we were like, this wasn't awful. Well, if you think of, if we think of the movie, you know, like in my head, I was like, these are the things when I want this movie, when I think of this movie in my head of this script of this story. These are the moments I think about. And watching the two and a half hour version, which was very shaggy, needed a lot of work. It was not good by any means. But those moments Felt we good. could see mm -hmm. could work. That's amazing. That's great. And then you knew really what to do. Yeah. Well, we just we took a very and long And then you were time. in the editing room together with Michael or he would send you cuts and you'd give notes. and you would... We would we be were in there. the editing room yeah. a lot, actually. Me, Emily, and Barry Mental, were in the yeah. editing room all Are you good at that with your own performance? He actually is. I, I have to some give people it to are, some aren't. So he's are... really good, and he got over it so quickly of, of watching himself. But he also had the memory of how scenes felt while he yeah. was filming them. So he would be like, "Where's? Can I see all the cuts of this?" Because I you know, oh, there's this one moment where yeah. I really connected to it. Yeah, yeah. I remember definitely. There were certain. I was like, "Oh no, it's this take." I remember. I remember. I did. I my I touched my hand to my ear or something. I was like, "I remember doing that." So find me that take, and you see it, and you're like, "Oh, it doesn't really." feel it doesn't look how i felt doing it but then i was like we should use that and now i think it, it was a subtle thing that's in there that you see even when you're like doing a scene so if i'm doing a scene and the coverage is zoe's coverage i will be like oh that time that she said that thing that way that's when i felt something and so that's the version we got to use yeah. and i loved editing i had the best time. that's the best oh yes my favorite part yeah. of the not my favorite far. why uh, I it's it's just incredibly tedious and uh, like sometimes it feels like a a, a real uphill yes. battle. But it's and got it's, the possibility for break of breakthroughs that yeah. very few. Oh yeah, it's That's got true. the possibility of like full we chiropractic. Yeah. Like oh look at that, the yeah. spine is straight. Yeah. Well, we swap scenes, order of scenes, and suddenly both scenes are better. I know, isn't that amazing? There were parts of it I really liked. I just didn't love it as much as Camille. See, did. I would have this feeling that I love <clears throat> that Emily and I have talked <clears throat> about where we would like. Get get there at like ten in the morning and then leave at like midnight. And I remember as we would be leaving the edit room, seeing like, oh, that's the trash from lunch. That's the trash from dinner. I really loved looking at that. I was like, look at all we did. <laughs> and that feeling of like, wow, that one scene is like five percent better now. I love that. Well, movie. it makes the biggest difference. I mean, it yeah. really yeah. does change when you can flip the scene order and suddenly not only both scenes are better. The scenes before and after are better, better. And the whole thing makes sense. And then you're like, why couldn't I just have thought of that when the board? It was yeah. so easy to I know, right? move cards. Well, we had two things. That reminds me of two things. One, flipping the scene, you realize how much of the scene is what the audience is projecting onto the characters and how important that is. I think I learned as an actor later after watching all these edits that I think acting is sort of bridging your experience with the audience's experience. It's halfway. It's not all the way. So you have to leave room for the audience to project themselves. That's what people it. are talking about when they talk about the uninflected image, right? This idea, of like I, the, the whole idea of montage originally, I, Eisenstein was like um, these two uninflected images that then juxtaposed create this third thing. Ooh, I like that. That's, uh, I mean, that's like the I principle like that on, that's like the original principle okay. of, the way we modern movie and yeah. montage, all montage, right? It's all this editing. Yeah. Uninflect, like this, so this power 
of the uninflected image onto which we can project. Yeah. yeah. And that's when, when people talk about actors when they indicate, right? You'll hear a director talk about wanting a performance that doesn't indicate the emotion because if right. you indicate yeah. the whole emotion, we can't go anywhere. I don't have any work right. to do. I want to do some work. If you cry, that's why the most powerful thing when you watch an actor who just holds back from crying. That like yeah. little chin. The, the, that allows us to, to break. Now, once in, it's not a science, so once in a while the actor needs to break. We need that catharsis yeah. to happen that way. But you're exactly correct. The restraint, if you look at leading men, leading women, yeah, it's as often as not the stoicism. And then we put stuff on it. Yeah, because you know, we put you're not everything on it. <laughs> I mean, you think of your life, how often are you okay showing your emotion to everybody? You're not. So much of our emotional life is sort of combating the emotions, even if it's unhealthy. And so in acting, a lot of it is fighting the emotion Brilliant. Or, yeah. or trying to redirect it in some way. I think of this this is short film, this animated 10 minute film on Netflix called House of Small Cubes. I haven't seen it. It's so good. It's beautiful. It's really, really, really sad. It's very, very devastating, but there's a little moment in it that like makes me cry. And it's very, it's beautiful, but it's very like sort of spare design. And the, it's, uh, the premise is kind of, it's water and his house is above water. It's a little bit of his house. And we find out that this water has been rising and he's sort of been adding house to his roof. Um, to and he drops something, so he has to swim all the way down. All is like all of his life, his entire life. So he's kind of having flashbacks of his life, and you learn that at some point he had a family, and you see the flashback, and it's him and his wife, and they both have a glass of wine, and they cheers, and as he's he's cheersing in the flashback, it cuts back to present day. And it's him in the present just holding his hand up in the cheers as if he's in the moment so much and he realizes and he puts his hand down. His face does nothing. His face is doing nothing there. It's just a drawing two lines in a mouth, right? But you feel so much because you're you projecting it. it. You're not seeing his lip quiver. You're not seeing tears streaming down his face. His face is stoic. But that's what I think about. It's like, that's a big part of... And this is what you learn making the movie, in editing. This is saying. what I learned in editing, making the movie, is that a lot of times it's the audience projecting it. So, so there was a scene in the movie, two scenes that we flipped. And when we shot them, we weren't like playing the tension of that scene, but because we flip it, suddenly now that scene that's just sort of played us like shopping feels so tense. Yeah. And you realize the audience is projecting so much of their experience onto Of it. everything that's, ha yeah, of what's happened and the question you suddenly realize if you yeah. ask a certain question. And it's all like baggage you bring from your own relationships and your own stuff that you're like, yeah, if that was, oh my God, if that was me, that was exactly, why would I be shopping? I would be like, what's going on? Why are we not doing this? Why, why haven't yeah. I met your parents? All that stuff is it's, what people are bringing. Yeah, and it's also that also highlights like in acting the best the best scenes were ones where we weren't saying what we wanted to say. You know, so there's a scene at the end of the movie where she sees my one mansion. We're sitting on the bed and we're sort of just the audience wants one of them to say like, just "Hey, say, let's try again." Yeah, and neither of us are saying it. And doing that scene felt so thrilling because you're like full of this thing you want to say, but you're not saying it. And it's so much more powerful in movies to have the characters not say, not portray what they totally. What they want yeah, to. Mamet says that like people only in life open their mouths when they want something, but then they never say what it is that they want. Yeah. And it's that combination of of things that's so exciting. In and it, it's and also like it, from being a therapist, when you're with a client, they're never going to say I'm depressed because my dad died and I'm not over it yet. They're going to say something five steps away from that, either because they don't want you to know that or because they don't know that yet. And yeah. you, your job is to dig down all those layers. So then writing Fascinating. your job is to go back up those layers and build them back up and put the layers on. Because if that's what you're actually upset about, you can't, no one would say that. That's right. We rarely say exactly yeah. what it is. And we don't know. Or if we, even if we do, we don't want you to know. That's why if someone invites you on a podcast, you say, I'd love to. Yeah. <laughs> and right. That's like, not what you, it's not what you mean at all. Or just a couple other things. Oh, and the, there's another scene in the movie that sort of speaks to that is uh, the, the, the breakdown that I have to the guy when I'm ordering the hamburger with the four slices of cheese. Yes. Again, that's like, I'm so frustrated, but I can't say it to the people I'm frustrated with. So I go yell at this random other guy. You know? And often there's no one to even say it to. That's part of what being a grown up is, is like, sometimes you're what makes you mad is no one's fault. And that's even more frustrating because you don't have anyone no, to blame. No, it's all Trump's fault. Well, obviously <laughs> know whose fault it I is. I mean, this was made before. It's clear. So clearly, yeah. I mean, it's clear whose fucking are, fault it is. Yeah. If you follow 
follow either Kamel or me on Twitter. It's, <laughs> there's very little fucking doubt um, about it. I had a thousand other questions, um, real ones about like your childhood, Emily, but I can't ask any of them because we're out of time. <laughs> so um, Ask her about her childhood. Okay. Did you know, like, because you came at this from this other background, right? Mm-hmm. And we all know a, a decent amount about his journey. But yours to being someone who's now a writer and makes their living as a writer. I was a blocked writer till I was 30. I couldn't, I didn't write a thing till I was 30 and had a whole nother, a whole other life. Yeah. Also filled with education. Like you're like cool. nights, you know, law school at night yeah. and a bunch of other yeah. stuff. So like when you were a kid, were there hints of this? Was this a secret thing to oh, you? Oh, I, I wrote an essay in the paper uh, as a, like a nine year old that got published in the paper that uh, I would do. I writing was my favorite hobby. The essay was about why fake Christmas trees are better than real ones. That's true. Hot take. I, wanna, I want a Pulitzer. Link to, one of you got, will you link to the piece? Uh, you got a link to the piece. It, it, the paper is not online because it's in my local paper. Uh, so it was always a hobby of mine. So even when I, I was in Bust Magazine, like I'd, I'd gotten stuff in like Bust Magazine and like a lot of lady magazines. It was always something I did to relieve the stress of being a therapist. And then I realized, especially after getting sick, I didn't have as much of myself to give to people in front of me anymore. And so I started giving more to writing and giving more, like that's a place where I felt safe. Why when you were a kid did you think that it was like just a hobby to you? As opposed to like, oh, I could do this, especially if you were getting recognized Well, there were a lot of things I think I didn't realize that were careers you could have. I come from a very practical family. Yeah, it's a very practical family. I didn't realize you could have a job in comedy unless you were a stand-up comedian. So producing a stand-up show was like a dream job for me. I didn't know that existed. Writing to me wasn't a thing you did. My grandmother wrote editorials in the paper weekly her entire life. She would have never thought to do that as a job. That was just like, that was a hobby. You don't do that as a job. That's not practical. As it was, therapy wasn't super practical, but it was something I could do to make money. But I, you know, both my parents are have very practical jobs. Like that's just what you do. So it never occurred to me that you so could- When did it occur to you that you could write? Uh, that you could like do this thing. Was it when you guys met? Was it what happened? Because right, we don't we don't really have what happened from when you guys got together to this time. time yeah. now. I do yeah. think after after getting sick, I'd already I'd submitted to a couple places and been published in a couple of places. But I think after getting sick, I was like, why not just do what you want to do? Why not? We're gonna die. All of us are gonna die. It almost happened to me. Why not just do what you want? Again, to do? these are not like active thoughts you're having. You just realize it becomes part of how you're. It wasn't until years later that we realized, like, oh, clearly that was what yes. was going on. I think we in, weren't like, I almost died, so we must live yeah. life to the fullest. In the immediate, I went back to my job. I was working with people with schizophrenia when I got sick. And when I went back, I had I was covered in scars. I looked very different. And my client's reaction was to be suspicious of me and think that I had been kidnapped and replaced. It's and not I, their fault. They were schizophrenic. Exactly. 100%. But, and that's what I, I was like, what an interesting thing that the entire world is trying so hard to comfort me. And these people are like... I don't know who you are anymore. You smell different. Get away from me. And I realized like, oh, I don't have the I don't have the emotional wherewithal right now to like handle you yeah. thinking that I'm an alien. I don't have it anymore. And so I was like, if I'm not doing this, which is something I loved doing and I got a lot out of, if I don't have the wherewithal to do that, why not just do the thing that has always kind of made me feel comfortable and made me feel happy? Uh which therapy, as much as it's nice when a person has a breakthrough, for the most part, it's a really, really tough battle. And then were you writing other things? Yes. Yeah. Were you then writing other things? Because you were acting and going on the road. I wrote for the Carmichael show. I wrote a book. Right. Uh, and so you were doing that during writing The Big Sick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I wrote but, my book while we were writing the movie. But before The Big Sick, first of all, even when we moved to New York, you had a therapy job for a year i did i, I it's worked not in... like you completely quit yeah and and at that point you were writing for a lot of websites this is the part that you skipped she wrote a lot of columns I, for like a bunch of different of like relationship like columns and post yeah. and yahoo and so was, emily was submitting and writing stories i would for... be i was on the aol homepage. uh i wrote a very silly little essay about how uh Kumail didn't find out i was goth in high school until he went to my grandmother's funeral and saw an old photo of me and I wrote just a silly little essay, and the AOL headline for the essay was, uh, he didn't find out her, de- her deep, dark secret until the, and so people, until the funeral. Until the funeral. And so all the comments were like, this is so stupid. Right. Yeah. This isn't, and I was like, I didn't write the headline. Yeah. 
I had hate mail for weeks from that. Yeah. So you were living that. You were living this before this. Did you have a sense in writing this that did you know that like your whole life was going to change? Not at all. <laughs> not a not a bit. Not a bit. No. And I how has it been? Any downside or all upside? It's been pretty lovely. I get to you know I'd never been in. I'd never been recognized. I'd never been like in a spotlight. I hadn't done press. I and mean, I'd done like pod my friends' podcast, but I hadn't done like press. And I did not realize that he and I were going to be the kind of face of the movie. And so that has been a really lovely but overwhelming adjustment of people like strangers hugging me uh, and kind of touching me. And, and so all that stuff's an adjustment, a lovely adjustment. People t showing me their scars. And have you been walking? That's awesome. Have yeah. you been um, walking into rooms alone as a screenwriter now? Yes. To take jobs? Or are you oh, guys going to oh, write no, together? I, I have a, uh, a job set up. Yeah. And that you are writing alone. Yes. And I have a I have a pilot at FX. And, uh, and do you guys want to write something we else are, together? We are. We're also working. Yeah. We're, we're, we're doing an episode of Amazing Stories that we're writing together that uh, is being executive produced again by Mr. Spielberg. Mr. And, Spielberg. And Mr. Brian Fuller, who's a genius. Damn genius. Awesome. So we're working on that right now. And then we have another movie that we're thinking about we whether a, we want to do or not. We it's have a, a good really, plan for it. It's a big movie. It would be like, it's a big fantasy movie. Hundreds, hundred million dollar thing. So we're trying to figure out if that's, if because we really love it. But that's but, a, it's a big jump to go from a five million dollar movie to a much Would you guys movie. direct it or you would no, write it? write it and he would star in it. I would star in it. We would write no it. No one would play me. <laughs> We're trying to figure out if, because obviously it's very different. We we had we had the best situation with this, and people have always been like, "It'll never be as good as this," and maybe that's true. So we're trying to figure out if we want to sort of take on this big, big thing, which is really fun and cool. Yeah, we didn't but, have to know, worry about a studio noting us to death. We didn't have to worry about a lot of things. We got to kind of just tell a really weird little story. This would be a different thing. So we're trying to. Figure out if it's worth taking this on. Right. And yeah. this is the thing that T.J. Miller's going to star in. Right? I heard about that. So that's great. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, right. yeah. T.J.'s playing all the parts. In that's this. what I'd heard. It's like, yeah. Dr. It's like uh, Eddie so, Murphy's Doolittle. That's fantastic. Well, yeah. thank you guys so much for oh, doing you. this. Thank great. you. Um, uh, everyone should, if you haven't seen The Big Sick, uh, find a way to see it. I think it's early on Amazon now. It's on Amazon Prime. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's still in some theaters. And again... Guys, it is my favorite movie of the year. Oh, thank That's you. So um, congratulations thank on accomplishing you. something really amazing. Um, Kumail's on Twitter. Are you on Twitter? Yes, I'm at Emily V. Gordon on Twitter. Great. I'm at Brian Koppelman on Twitter. You can email me the moment, bk at gmail.com. Don't send me pictures of your scars to send. Emily, I won't send them on. Yeah. And um, all right, thanks for listening. Bye. 